We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. Uh, this morning, we're just going to probably get through one verse or so. And, uh, but I'll read three verses. Ephesians chapter 5. I am, I am just loving, I want to tell you this, I am loving going through this book. This book is turned into my favorite book. The favoriteest book in the whole world. It's, it's just a, I think, you get into it, you start to pick it apart, and it's got so much to say. And that's true of the Word of God in general, but this is the book we're in right now, and it feels really right. Ephesians chapter 5, I'll start with verse 15. Where Paul says this, Be very careful. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Redeeming the time, some translations have, because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand. Understand what is the Lord's will. Be careful how you live. Don't live as unwise, but as wise. Let's pray. Father, we just have a couple minutes here, Lord, but I would pray that your spirit would come down and anoint this word in such a powerful way. I have it on my heart, God, that uh, there are people here this morning, and I feel like maybe I'm one of them, who really need to be set free, and that have bonds that the enemy has placed on us through a wide variety of means. And Lord, you've called us to freedom. It's a central thing of what your work on the cross is all about. And so I pray, Lord, this morning, your spirit doesn't need a lot of time to work, and so, Lord, I pray that it would infuse these words and set your people free. Bring them out of the Egypt of lies and deception that we've sometimes been in. And this morning, God, I pray that we'd come out of here knowing more fully, more completely who we are and what we're called to do than before. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, this last week, my wife and I have been redoing re, uh, our basement. Uh, actually, we haven't been doing a thing. We hired somebody to do it. She knows, <laughs> she knows a lot better than to try to put me up to a task like that. Um, and uh, so we had some people come over to do our, our room. And, and our basement's finished, but we just want to change a pantry and a, and a workroom into a bedroom because my daughter wants to sleep downstairs with my other daughter. Okay, good enough. Fine. No problem. The people come over. It takes us about four weeks to schedule them because they're very good and therefore they're very busy and so they come over and they're doing it. The next, second day they come over and they have to put a stop to their work because we got a message that the city hall, the city hall came by and inquired whether or not we had a building permit. Now I didn't know we needed a building permit. I mean, it's our house. It's a finished room. It's not going to up or down the you know, cost of the house or anything like that. We didn't think we needed a building permit. But we did. Any job over 500, I guess it is, you've got to have a building permit. I don't see the sense in that at all, but that's, that's okay. But here's the thing. We're told that, I was wondering, how is it that City Hall knew that we were, you know, building a basement or revising a room? And the answer is that someone in our neighborhood, who will remain anonymous, called and just said, these people are building a something or other, they're bringing in some lumber, and I don't know if they've got a building permit. And the, the, the city hall apologizing for us, saying, you know, this is kind of embarrassing, but I have to do it, so you've got to get a building permit. It doesn't bother me that we had to pay a couple extra dollars, maybe $100, 200 I don't know how much it costs, some money to get a building permit. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't even bother me too much that it put our already delayed project back a ways. But there's something, I'm not, I've never made a claim of being extra godly, and you know that, so I have the right to say this, and I'm just being honest here. <laughs> 
But there's something deep inside of me that wanted to go over there. My wife will testify about everything I'm saying here. It is true. And just, not physically touch him. I'm not a violent person, but verbally. Verbally express myself. <laughs> because I can't enter into that mindset. To me, now, I, I know that it, it could possibly be that this is a, a very... A broad-minded person, it could be that he had the best of intentions, um, that maybe I'm just hearing it wrong and seeing it wrong. Granted all that, I'm just testifying as to what was in my heart. And what was in my heart is I wanted to go over there and pull the guy apart with my words. What makes a person like you? Why is this the kind of relationship we can expect to have for the next 40 years? Why don't you have a life? Why do you have to look out the window so much? I don't get it. I do not get it. I can't enter into that world. I don't understand this. And I'd take really good care of your dog if I were you. (laughs) (laughs) That was only kidding. I don't get it. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And my wife reminded me of this. That I am a Christian. A pastor, no less. And boy, do I hate that sometimes. So I had to bite my tongue. I wanted to go over there. And and, 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 uh, she just sort of said, whoa, Nellie. Maybe promise, actually. Because there's another part of me, and this is a true thing too, as much, there's a part of me that wants to go over there and, and do a very immature, sink to that level, do war. You want war? I'll give you war. You want to be war? Okay, here we go. I, I could do that. I could do that. I, there's a part of me that would enjoy that. There's another part of me, believe it or not, that says, oh, this is a person for whom Jesus died. I got to love him with an everlasting love. And I'm put alongside of this person to be a witness to him. And one part of me says, one part even kind of feels, kind of rises to that occasion and says, yes to that. While the other part says, ooh. <laughs> Paul here says to be careful. Be careful how you walk. Not as wise, but unwise. Don't do foolish things like going over there and being immature and ripping your neighbor to part, to part, even if on one level he might deserve it. Walk as wise, not as unwise. Be careful how you live. You only need to be careful about something when there's a blueprint, when there's a, when there's a plan, a purpose, a meaning that you're supposed to be carrying out. When you're walking in a minefield that's got mines on it, you've got to be careful. Because there's a right way to walk and a wrong way to walk. But if you're just in an open field, you can be carefree. Non-believers in this world for, who do not understand what the purpose of life is about, don't have a meaning, don't have a direction, don't have a call, don't believe that they're moral, morally accountable to anything, they don't have to really take care of how they walk. They can do what comes natural. There is no, so far as they know, no higher calling. The Bible says that they can participate in the futile deeds of darkness, the meaningless activity of, of this dark world. And they don't have to worry about pleasing the Lord, about walking according to the Lord or whatever. They can live carefree. And if they want to go over there and, and just tear the, their neighbor apart, they can do that. There's no higher call than their own instinct. Then what they feel right here and right now is the right thing to do, and they'll do it. But see, believers are in a different situation. And there's a part of us that loves this and a part of us that maybe doesn't love this. But here's the truth. And we've seen this throughout the book of Ephesians. We have been given a different calling because we have been made through the blood of Jesus Christ into a new kind of a people. We've been given a new identity. We've seen that early on in the book of Ephesians. And with that new identity comes a new calling, a new life mission, a new purpose, a new plan. And what we need to be careful of is that we walk in accordance with the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. We have, we've seen the book of Ephesians tell us, we have been brought from a realm of utter darkness into a realm of light. And we need to let that make a difference on the way that we think and the way that we feel and on what we do despite what we feel. 
We've been brought from a realm of condemnation into a realm of salvation. We've been brought from a realm of hostility against God into a realm of a loving relationship by grace with God. We've been brought from a course that was headed towards destruction into a course that's now headed towards eternal wholeness. We were once servants of the enemy. We were in, in, under the dominion of darkness, but now we are servants of the Most High God, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with His power, love, and joy, and that has got to, but got to make a difference in our life. It's not just a theoretical pretend kind of thing. It's a real thing. It genuinely happens. And that means we need to walk in harmony with that reality. Amen. We need to walk in consistency or incongruity with the truth of who we are. We need to walk wisely. Walk with love. Walk with light. Walk with deliberation. Walk with intentionality. Walk with passion. Walk with purpose. We cannot walk as the person who does not know light and does not know revelation, how they walk. We cannot walk like that. There's as much as our carnal instincts may cry out to do something, there's a higher calling. And that has got to be what we have to be careful to walk in consistency of. One of the things that we can really benefit from, and I'll just throw this out here, is this. We need to, maybe even write down on paper, but certainly get clear in our own mind what our purpose is. Most people do not ever stop and think what the purpose of their life is, but believers cannot afford not to do that. We've got to know who we are. We've got to know whose we are. And we've got to know what we are called to do. What is the purpose of our life? What is our life mission? What is our job description? What is our purpose proposition? What do we exist for? And maybe even get it down on paper. And anything, any thought, any action, any deed that does not conform to that purpose statement has got to go. You know, churches have mission statements, boards have mission statements, businesses have mission statements. They define what you are about, and whatever is not consistent with that, you don't even pay attention to. You just get rid of it. So also, we as an individual life, we are here for a short, short season. And that season's got to make a difference. And maybe we need to get it out on paper, what our purpose is, what our plot is, so that we have a criteria by which to judge whether or not a certain course of action is or is not appropriate. And going and reaming out your neighbors is, is not appropriate if your mission statement is at all in line with the Word of God. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. And it's a significant one. Everyone here this morning, whether you're a believer or not, already has a purpose statement, a life script. You already have a job description that somebody gave you. You probably don't even know what it is, but I assure you that it's there. We already have internalized from a wide variety of sources. And how this comes about is a complex thing that maybe you need a therapist to help you sort out. But just know right now that it's there. It can come through experiences in childhood. It can come through incidences that happened to you, things that were beyond anybody's fault. But in one way or another, what happens is that we find a niche. We find in our life something that works. We, find, we define for ourselves a purpose, a mission. We come to an understanding very early on in life, but sometimes a little bit later on in life, of who we are what our worth is, what our value is, and therefore what our job description is. And many times, in fact always, if we haven't taken care to revise it, those life scripts, those job descriptions, or those computer programs that we've assimilated into the computer of our mind are not wholly consistent with and sometimes are totally antithetical to the life script that God would have for us in the Word of God. Amen. This, uh, this last week we were, we were um, 
as a staff at uh, Woodland Hills, we meet every Monday for about four or five hours and just talk about life, talk about the church, talk about ministry. And I want to say right here how much I appreciate the team that we have here and, and uh, um, what a support they are. We support one another. We're like a little house church when we get together. And we share some of the things that we go through. And Steve and Norm shared something this last week, and I've gotten their permission to share it here. But Steve was going through one of the gigs that he goes through, and a lot of you here have heard this before, but life scripts that you've inherited outside of the Word of God don't go away easily. But Steve, you see, whenever Steve is criticized, it touches a little buzzer inside of him. And in ministry, you're going to get criticized. It goes with the territory. Churches are full of backseat drivers. And on any given day of the week, you're going to get criticized. And what happens is Steve, is if, if, if the criticism is, is of a particular nature, he goes into this sort of workaholic mode. And he starts getting way too busy, doing way too much, getting way too active, ignoring his family way too much. Because, see, Steve has got a life script. He's got an identity statement that leads to a job description. The identity statement, to summarize it in a word, is a word that he got from an authority in his life, that he is as useless as breasts on a bull. That's the statement that he received. And as a kid, you receive that kind of stuff. You internalize it. It becomes part of who you are. You're useless. That's his identity statement, and it leads to a job description under the right circumstances. Whenever, one, whenever anyone says anything that could possibly be interpreted as a saying, you're not competent, Steve goes into a panic mode, and now here comes his job description. I will prove, I will prove to anybody who's watching, and especially prove to myself, that I am worthwhile, that I am valuable, that I can make a difference, that I can be competent at something. And so he gets perpetually busy around the house, perpetually busy around the office, starts doing things that he has no business doing, starts being away from the family way too much. Until finally Mary, who's good at this sort of thing, sets him down and says, Steve, knock it off. <laughs> Family first. If you want to be competent, be competent as a father. And then he starts getting a workaholic as a father. Only kidding. But you see how you press the right button and you put it in overdrive. Norm's got a similar kind of thing. And Norm's okay with me sharing this. I think it's important in ministry that we learn how to share and give people permission to share with each other. Norm has got a message. Norm has been on for six weeks now on the staff. And we're coming down his throat big time. The reason is because he's there in the morning, he's there in the afternoon, and he's there most of the nights. We're saying, get your derriere back home to your good wife, and quit spending so much time around here. But see, there's something activated in Norm's life, that he'll never amount to anything. You know, he's got a double-bind script, and a lot of us do have double-bind scripts, and it goes like this. He's told that he'll never amount to anything. So that leads to a job description that says, i got to amount to something. But he's also told he's got a, the authority of a father in his head that says, when you do amount to something, you think you're better than us. You, you, you think you're better than us ghetto people, don't you? Trying to make it in the white man's world. And so he's got this script where he's always trying hard to achieve something, but just before he achieves it, he feels guilty for it, and then he wants to sabotage it. He's also got some other racial things going on that says that uh, white folk are always going to be suspecting you of being lazy. And that tape kicks in. And so you get a, he gets a job that he really likes, and so he wants to do well at it, and he's turning into a workaholic where he's there too much of the time, thinking that he's got to prove himself before himself, before us, before God and everybody. It's because there's a life script that kicks in here. And what we're doing as a team is confronting that life script and saying, it is not true. We've all got different life scripts. Uh, I talked to a person not too long ago who was chemically dependent. Just could never kick the chemical habit. You find out a little bit about this guy, and you find out what kind of led to his script. Among the various events that happened was this. He struck out in the bottom of the sixth inning one time when the bases were loaded and this team could have won. Disappointed the coach, disappointed the team, disappointed his father. 
And after that, he got so afraid of going up to bat that he would try to hide. Because he never wanted to go through that experience again. The next game, when he was going to go up to bat, he hid behind the dugout, trying to hide, and he started to cry. And that led script. Now, this isn't the only thing. Usually these things aren't just there by one incident, but it's a lot of things that go together. But this sort of thematizes, uh, kind of sums up what his life script is about. His life script is this. What your identity is, is you strike out in the bottom of the sixth. That's the kind of person you are. You really let people down when the pressure's on. And that leads to a job description. I gotta hide. I gotta hide. I never want to go through that again. And so he spends his life, he doesn't want to strike out. He spends his life trying not to strike out. He spends his life trying to do good. But when the pressure gets tough, in the real world, when the pressure gets tough and you got to step up to the plate, this guy tries to hide. But in the real world, there aren't any more dugouts around. The only dugouts you can find is in a bottle of booze or in, in, in a bag of pot. And so he immerses himself into that. And he's still trying to hide from a dad who's going to bow him up for striking out. It's a life script. It gets in there. It's a virus in the computer. It screws the whole message up. And even when you become a believer, it sometimes fights against who you are in Christ. My life script is something like this. It's just the opposite of Norman Steve's. It's funny how we, 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 we do things differently, how we interpret things differently. I, I, they, they try to please people. They try to, you know, they try to do it as good as possible to get people to affirm them. I try to get life in a different way. I try to tick them off. I, I, a lot of you know this, but... Because somehow or other, and there's, this happens through a wide variety of circumstances, maybe we don't even know fully how it happens, but I somehow got the message that what I am good at is, is, is screwing around. I'm good at making kids laugh in a class. I'm good, at, I'm good at, at making parents think that I'm good, but screwing up in the classroom, putting a tack down on the teacher's chair just before she sits, throwing spitballs, doing, being more rowdy in church than, than other kids can. I'm good at getting attention that way. What I'm good at is being bad, and there's a message inside of me that says that that's what I'm really about. I've got to be always going a little too far, saying a little too much, ticking people off. And there's a part of me that isn't comfortable and that someone mad at me, preferably some authority figure. That's part of my life script. It's a job description. I'm telling you the truth. I, to this day, my wife will testify the truth of everything I'm saying here. I'm driving down the road. What happens when a policeman comes by? I freeze like you would believe. Now, the, the car can be registered. Everything can be going right. But I just freeze. I go, kids, kids, put on your table. Kids, what about this? What about that? You know, what about that? I, don't look at the cop. Don't catch eyes with him, you know. <laughs> I've been pulled over twice in my life just because I caught eyes. I probably, look, I probably was like, listen, you know, the cop is suspecting me. My wife one time, a couple of years ago, asked Nathan. Uh, he was about five. And just, just out of curiosity, Nathan... Are policemen good people or bad people? Nathan says, oh, they're bad people. <laughs> what am I doing to my kids? But I can't for the life of me. And, and this is, I, 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 I'm not going to say I can't for the life of me. I, I thus far have not usually, how's that? I thus far have not usually obeyed the speed limit. I don't put on my seatbelt. And there's something inside of me that says, I don't want to go by the rules. I do not want to go by the rules. I've got to be breaking something. I've got to be out of the line somewhere. I gotta be ticking somebody off. I gotta be doing something wrong. I got in my mind a kind of a picture here, kind of a picture of, of, uh, of, of a classroom full of, of, of kids in third grade Catholic school, and they're all dressed in uniforms. And I hated those uniforms, just hated them. And there's something inside of me that said, if I, if I am just like them, I'm a nobody, I'm a non person, I gotta somehow be standing out. And I, 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 
I, can't, I don't want to be part of the crowd. To this day, I don't feel comfortable in crowds. If there's a big crowd there for the same purpose, I feel somehow like my identity is being lost or something. Some of you can relate to that, can't you? It's a weird sort of a thing. And then I, I, I try to do something to stand out, and then one of these third-grade goody-two-shoe girls says, Teacher, you know what Greg did? And here's the thing. I acted out to get that, and then once I get very mad. That's the double-buying thing. And I get so mad at these little good... Yeah, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. These, these little Urkel-like goody-two-shoe kids. And it's like, nah, wait, you know. And now you can begin to understand what button was pushed when my neighbor told on me. It's like... Catholic school revisited. I, uh, oh, ha, oh, yo, you know. Because a script kicks in. A script kicks in. A message kicks in that says, here's who you are and here's what you do under the right circumstances. Whatever else you've learned from the Word of God, whatever else you may know theologically, under the right circumstances, we get a thing that kicks in. And sometimes then we wonder, why do we rage when we want to be patient? Why are we so anxious when we want to have peace? Why, do we, why are we so fearful when we know that we can have confidence in Christ? Why are we so depressed when we know we can have joy in Christ? Why do we so often have trouble living the Christian life? And we try hard not to do it, biting our tongues, but you see... There's a script on the inside there, a life statement, a purpose statement, a mission statement, an identity clause that's somehow whispering to you who you are, and it's a lie. It is a lie. But as long as that script is there, you're going to be struggling against it, struggling against it, always knocking your head against the same thing, sabotaging relationships, sabotaging jobs. Try all you want. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. You know, the, message, the, the, the bottom line thing I want to say this morning is this if I say anything, and I just want to say it. Lord, help me say it as succinctly and as forcefully as I can. But here's the thing. Change, folks, is possible. Change is possible. In fact, for the believer, it's mandatory. And that shouldn't be heard as a, as a heavy word. It's got to be heard as a freeing word. Most people, I believe, assume, they just assume that whatever they got as a kid, they're going to have all of their life. And I think it is so sad when people, especially believers, go to the grave still trying to figure out what mom meant or what dad did has happened or why that happened or why the other thing happened. Why? And they go to the grave still under the bondage of something that, gave, that happened to them when they were two or four or five or whatever. Because if the word of God means anything to us, what it means is this, is that we can be free and we need to be free. That, that, that we, believer, believer, we are kings, kids. We need be victims to nobody. Amen? We are king's kids, praise God. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. We're given a new identity. We're given a new job. We're given a new mission. We belong to the king. He is our father. He is our Lord. And what he says about us is true and nothing else is. And it just isn't the case. It may be for non-believers, but for believers, it's just not the case. That what you got early on, whatever was dumped on you, whatever you inherited, whatever you assimilated, whatever you absorbed that became part of the way you see yourself, it's not the case that you can or should live your life as a footnote to what mom said or dad said, as an addendum to what, what, what your brother did or whatever happened to you. We're no one's victims, we're no one's slaves, we're no one's servants, we're no one's footnote. We are free in Christ Jesus, free in, in a new reality of what he's purchased for us. Hallelujah! Change comes about, folks, when it starts here. Sometimes you need to talk to a, a counselor, and God's been giving us some beautiful counselors. We've got Daryl Rawlings and Al Larson and Pat Rep and others who can help you do this. Sometimes you need to get the, to, to, to get the script rewritten. But the essence of the whole thing 
comes when, when, when it, it all amounts to this, is when we take our life script and we surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, I'm tired of this script. This isn't working for me anymore. Maybe it worked in third grade. I needed a life then, and, I, and it gave me a life, but it no longer works for me. Lord, take this script, rewrite it, redeem it, wash it by your blood. I want to be who you say I am, Lord. You are my Lord and not Mom. You are my Lord, not Dad. You are my Lord, not experience. You are my Lord, not this culture. What you say about me is true, and if everything else in the world disagrees with that, then let it be a lie. But if you say I'm redeemed, then I am redeemed. And if you say I'm holy, then I am holy. And if you say I have infinite worth, then I have infinite worth. And with every other voice, every other lie, every other story, every other script, every other job description that comes against that, that doesn't agree with that, it's simply a lie, and we've got to call it as that. Lori, I don't think that you probably got all of that there. <laughs> I sprain more people's fingers uh, when they try to sign for me. <laughs> we need to bring it to the Lordship of Christ and say, Lord, take it all. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and nothing else is. Let me close by just sharing with you this, this thing. Something that happened to me, and, and, and I, I, I share it for several reasons. One is to give us all permission to be open, because there's no points here for being more together than we really are, but also to open up maybe a way that God can move in your life to rewrite some of the script that you have. But several weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, maybe the Lord was preparing me for this thing with my neighbor and doing this, but I, I, was, I was just talking with the Lord. And we're actually talking about this topic. There's a side of me that just seems like it just can't, it can't get in the line. You know, it just doesn't get in the line. It can, but it doesn't. And a part of me that just always, you know, wants to shock, say the wrong word, go too far. And sometimes that's very helpful, and sometimes it's not. But it doesn't feel submitted to Christ. And so we're talking about it. And the Lord gave me this picture. Sometimes the Lord can talk in pictures and run movies in your brain, and I encourage you to be open to that, the Holy Spirit doing that in your life. But here's the movie it ran. I, I saw a picture of a, little, of a kid, maybe 12 years old, dressed up in a, a joker's outfit, kind of a court jester. He had kind of a sinister smile. He even looked a little bit demonic. And at first, I didn't like this, this kid. I realized it was me. I didn't like it. It was a side of me, a part of me, a persona, if you will, of me. I didn't like it. I was mad at it. And this kid jumped on top of this desk in his classroom. He started ripping up some paper and this kind of hyena laugh, you know, kind of stuff. He was throwing stuff. He was spitting at stuff. Kids were getting mad at him. And the room was full of these teachers and these authorities and principals. And they were all hollering at him. And the more they hollered at him, the more fun he was having. This is what it's all about. But I knew inside the kid was sad, but he was acting like he was enjoying this whole thing. As, as everyone was getting mad at him, he just kept on going more and more. He's acting out. And I asked the Lord, who was right in there next to me as we're looking at this, this joker in his classroom doing this, I said, why does he do that? And the Lord said he's trying to survive. And I, I wasn't so mad at the kid at that point as I was thankful. Thankful that this, this very creative, mischievous uh, side of me had, had figured out a way to get by. And I realized that, that uh, I, had a, I was very indebted to this, to this kid and the way he acts. And, but I also knew that there's a side of him that has to go. Because he does not bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord then went over to this court jester as he was doing all this. And the court jester looked at the Lord and, and, and he, I saw in his eyes a couple of things. But, but the most profound thing was... He had a profound love for Jesus Christ. His eyes were glassy towards the Savior. He loved Jesus. 
more, more than most, he's an extremist. By nature, he's an extremist. So if he's going to love Jesus, he's going to really love Jesus. He really loved Jesus. But he began to back up like this because he was afraid. And the Lord began to approach him, and he was afraid. And the Lord said, why are you afraid? Why won't you let me embrace you? And this court jester said, because I'm afraid I'm going to look like them. And then on the side, all of a sudden, on the side of this court jester, were all these kids dressed up in these silly Catholic outfits that I saw in third grade. All these kids were just sitting there, and they looked identical, and they were doing the identical thing. And the kid said, if I, if I submit, I'm going to be just like them. And I won't have a life. I won't be a person. There won't be any uniqueness there. The Lord said, if you let me embrace you, I'll make you more unique than you can ever think about being. Far more unique than the way you're being now. I'll give you a special purpose and a mission that no one else could possibly give you. You won't turn out like that. Jesus came, and the kid was still kind of uh, uh, resisting him, and Jesus kind of gave him a hug and put his arms, uh, put his hands on, on, on this jester's head and began to pray for the jester. And the jester was crying, but also kind of fighting, resisting. But he began to pray for the jester, and then what happened was truly bizarre. Voices started coming out of this jester. It almost looked like an exorcism, but there were voices of this jester's script, his mission statement, his purpose, Words that he had internalized somewhere along the way that were leading him to think that it was necessary to act like that in order to, to have a life. And, and these voices in the very phrase and the voice that they were given began to come out of him. It wasn't the jester's own voice. It was the voice of the one who said it. And words came out of them. Like, you are never going to measure up. Why can't you just get along? And the voice of a teacher all of a sudden coming out. A voice of a mother superior. Are you proud of yourself now? Are you proud of yourself? Is this what you, aren't you ashamed of this? Another voice coming out. Are all these trophies on the wall your brother's trophies? Where are yours? Another voice coming out. Your brother never acted like this and he would have scored on that touchdown. Another voice coming out. Why can't you just get with the program? What is wrong with you? Another voice coming out. Greggy is a bad boy. He's just a bad boy. And the Lord in his prayer and in his love was embracing this little jester and was purging him of all these things that he had absorbed. I was thankful for this gesture for absorbing them because that allowed me to live. But it comes a time when you've got to rewrite the script. And maybe if that script hadn't been rewritten, I would have handled this thing a little differently that happened in my neighborhood here. But then what was left was just this little, little kid. And I could tell by looking at him, this little kid, after this prayer was done, this little kid was still meus. He was still was hyper. He was still kind of rowdy. He was still a nonconformist. He, was still, he still had that, but it was Christianized. You see, the Lord doesn't want to do a lombotomy on any of us. We've all got unique things. We're all unique. We all think in profoundly unique ways. We feel things, we experience things in unique ways. We, we bring to the table unique experiences. And maybe the message that you've internalized leads you to live out that uniqueness in a wrong way. But Jesus wants you to, to keep the uniqueness. He doesn't want a bunch of kids dressed up in a uniform. The church should be the, the place where above all there are just a conglomeration of radically unique and individual thinking, acting people. But each one of us are brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in the end of this scene, the little kid was hugging the knees of Jesus down here. He was on his knees hugging the knees of Jesus. And Jesus was, 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 was just kind of hugging him. And it was still this mischievous kind of kid, but without that angry bent to it, because he'd been brought under the subjectivity of Jesus Christ. Paul says, bring every thought under the captivity of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and that's what it's about. This morning, I want you to look into your heart, 
look into your mind and ask yourself the question. We're doing the passage here. Be careful. Walk as wise. What script do you have? What message do you have that's going on that leads you to live in ways that are not consistent with the Word of God? The Lord wants to free you. And He has a life mission for you, a script that you can live out. For me, it comes out like this, and I, I've got it in my mind, that I, my purpose in life, I am redeemed, holy, and loved, and complete by God for free, and therefore my purpose in life is to make a unique, distinctive contribution to the kingdom of God by pushing the edges. The Lord wants me to be pushing the edges. And he's, I can do that. I like doing that. Uh, it's what comes naturally to me. But that's the Christianized side of what, for you it's going to be a different thing. But let the Lord give you a unique individual mission statement that you can live out. You can begin to see what it is to walk wise for you. It'll be different than other people. What it is to walk intentionally and purposely and passionately before our Lord. As we're dismissed, I'm going to pray in a moment, but when we're dismissed, uh, those of you who want prayer for maybe some of the life script that you have that is not in harmony or congruity with who you are in Christ, I encourage you to come forward. The, the, the altar will be open. There'll be some people. In fact, would you come forward now? People who, who will pray for you uh, as we're dismissed. If you want to come forward and receive prayer, then do that. But the prayer people come forward as I close in prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to atone for our sins, to die for us, to make us, in spite of everything we might do to the contrary, holy, blameless, spotless, redeemed, sanctified, and passionately loved in your sight. Father, I pray that that message would be just engraved and seared in our minds more strongly and vividly than any other message we might ever receive, Lord. Help us, Lord God, our previous identities and mission statements to the cross. Lord God, it'd be open for you to rewrite the beautiful story you want to make out of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name.